Well, good morning again. What a great day it is, and uh, we are going to continue in a series we started last week in uh, the Gospel of John. And uh, we are going to take one Sunday, uh, each Sunday, and we will go through one of the chapters in this particular book. Last week, Scott mentioned uh, that we are not starting in, we didn't start in John chapter 1, as you might expect, but we started in John chapter 12. And today, I'm going to look at John chapter 13, because we wanted to start with the direct events leading up to the betrayal, the crucifixion, uh, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, leading up to Easter. Now, John, let me just tell you something quickly, and each week we'll try and fill in various gaps of who John is and, and various details about the book. But John wrote several of the books in the New Testament. He's a great writer. He's very graphic. Just read the book of Revelation and you'll see that. But he wrote the Gospel of John. He, he, he also wrote John 1, 2, and 3 and the book of Revelation. John was one of the 12 original disciples that, that Jesus called to himself. You'll remember when Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw John and his brother James. They were both fishermen working in their dad's family business, along with Simon Peter. And James and John, as well as Peter, were called to and invited by Jesus to come and serve him and walk with him and learn from him, that he would teach them to become fishers of men. And, and that's exactly what John did. He left his business. And in that day, to have a business, to be a fisherman, was actually uh, kind of uh, a good thing. I mean, there was good money in it. And so when John walked away from doing his business, he walked away from a lot of money. He walked away from a future filled with money and the promises that come with that, like marriage and other things. John's probably in his early 20s. He's a single guy, most likely. And he leaves all to go and follow Jesus. He's all in, all in. John's intense. His personality is compassionate, but intense. Matter of fact, Jesus kind of noticed some of the traits of John. And, and uh, he, he loved John very dearly, to, uh, like a kid brother. And, uh, and so he comes up with this nickname. And he calls him a son of thunder. And uh, what, it's kind of a cool name, I think. Sounds like a motorcycle gang, but I, I like it. And uh, it's because of John's zeal, because of his intensity, because of his commitment, and because of his compassion. So we're going to look at John 13. Open your Bible with me if you have that. And we're going to just start there in verse 1 of John 13. You'll notice in John 13 that this is the night of Jesus' betrayal. All the disciples are gathered together in this borrowed room where they're eating the Lord's Supper, where they're eating the, they're eating the Sabbath meal, which we today as Christians call the Last Supper. And in John 13, starting in verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, how many of you would like to know how you're going to die? I, I don't want to know, especially if there's pain involved or tragedy involved. 
I really don't want to know. Um, I would prefer to just stay ignorant. But Jesus did not have the luxury of ignorance. He knew. He knew how he was going to die. He knew when he was going to die. And he knew that it would be a friend that would betray him to die. In fact, it would be one of his good buddies, one of the 12 disciples, who would turn him over and basically uh, take part in his death. Now, think how hard that would be to hang out with someone who you knew was going to do that to you at some point in the near future. To just be their friend, to hang out with them, to eat with them, to walk with them, to spend uh, just thousands of hours, basically, with them in friendship. John tells us it was before the Passover feast. Last week, uh, Scott talked about the importance of the Passover to the Jewish people. And we're told in verse 1 that he knew that his time had come, was coming, to leave this world. And having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus impending death on the cross. He's going to show how much he really loves us as he goes to the cross. He's going to love his disciples and all of us to the very bitter end. He spends his final moments thinking of other people. And uh, I've been at uh, many a bedside, and that tends to be what, what people think of when they're going to leave this world is, is they begin to think of other people. Jesus thought of others all of the time, and of course, this is no exception. He's getting his friends together, his closest friends, his disciples, his students, and they're going to have a meal together. And in verse 2, it says, During the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So get this in your mind. Judas is at the table with him. He's at the meal. And I don't think I would want to share a meal with someone who in the morning was going to murder me. But that, that's because I'm not God. That's, Jesus is different. He's holy. I remember as a kid in junior high, I had a friend who turned me into the principal once. And I was just so angry at him. I, was betra- I felt betrayed. I felt hurt. And because of that, I laid awake at night thinking, how can I get back at my friend? And I had this idea. I decided what I'll do is I'll invite him over to dinner. And that way, when he's at dinner, you know, and because I'm acting like I'm his friend, he'll never know what hit him. So when he left, I hid in the bushes with a BB gun and I pelted him with a BB (laughs) as he was leaving. Some of you are thinking, I really don't want to come over for dinner. And, (laughs) And I understand others of you I see taking notes going, hey, very creative. It's interesting to me that when we get hurt, when we feel betrayed, we get pretty creative in our wickedness. We, we really do. Um, maybe you've never done that, but I know that we have all acted like we're someone's friend and then done something behind, behind their back. I mean, it might be gossip. It might be a lie. It might be some, something that we stole from them. It might be jockeying for, in position to outdo them at work. It could be any number of things. But anytime you're pretending like you're, a, pers- you're, you're that, a friend of that person to their face, but behind their back, you're doing something to stab them. That's called a Judas. You don't have to physically hurt them. You just can assassinate the person's character through lies or spins or gossip. 
Jesus takes Judas, who's already agreed to kill him, and he makes this decision in his heart. He sits down, he has dinner, and Judas is with him in those final moments. I mean, that is outrageous humility. It's, it's scandalous grace. It's uncommon kindness. When the scripture says that God is holy, holy means, and we sang about that today, God being holy, it means God is altogether different. He's altogether different than you and me. He thinks, he acts, he governs differently. We're not God. See, it's, it's one thing to be nice to your friends. But to be nice to your enemies, that is a whole nother level, isn't it? So here we are, ready to eat the Passover meal. And Jesus' heart is heavy. He is emotionally taxed. He's preparing for this gruesome, torturous death. Luke's gospel tells us about this event that at the dinner, an argument breaks out between his friends, his students, his disciples about who was the greatest. And so they begin to kind of banter back and forth. Which of us is the best? Which one of us is the greatest? Who's the strongest? Who's the most capable? When we get into the kingdom, which one of us is going to sit at the throne in charge? That's what they want to know. They're not really in tune to Jesus and any of the trauma or problems he's got going. They're just wondering which one of us guys are the greatest. Now, instead of blowing up and correcting them, getting angry, Jesus decides to use that moment as a moment to teach. And, he, and the teaching is something like this. If you want to be first, you've got to be last. If you want to be the highest, you've got to go to the lowest. If you want to be the most, you have to learn to be the least. And as they're having this meal and they're arguing about which one of them is the greatest, who has the highest position, who's getting ahead, verse 3 says, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. As he's sitting with his friends, He notices that they all have dirty feet, stinky feet, and he decides to wash them himself. And in that culture, that was the lowliest duty of the most common slave. I mean, if you were the foot washer, you were at the bottom of the social food chain. And in that day, unlike our own day, they walked everywhere with open-toed sandals. And so they walked through the mud and the grime and the dirt and the dung. And their feet were crusty and sick and stinky. And so when they came into a home, especially for dinner at dinner time, they were to have their feet washed. But they were often uh, too either lazy themselves or tired themselves or just felt like it was beneath them to do it. And so they would always have whoever was at the lowest point the lowest totem pole in the room to wash the feet of those who were there. Normally it was a slave or a servant. So here they're in this borrowed room. There is no host. There is no slave or servant there in the room. 
And so Jesus, looking at the men, realizes not any of these guys, they're arguing about who's the greatest right now. No, none of these are going to go and wash any. They won't even wash their own feet, let alone someone else's. So to set the example, he takes off his outer garment. He puts a towel around his waist. He gets a basin of water and he goes around one by one. And he takes their sandals off and he looks at their feet and he begins to wash their feet and dry them with a towel. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? I mean, God himself. He came down to be one of us. That's humbling enough. But then for God to come down as a slave, to be a servant to us, that's mind-blowing. And we'll see a couple different reactions as Jesus begins to do that. Wouldn't that be unnerving for God, Jesus Christ, to come and take your stinky feet, put them in his hand and begin to pour water over them and begin to wash your feet? Now, for a moment, think, who's the greatest in the room? The greatest isn't any of the the guys there, right? It's Jesus. He's the highest and the person worthy of the greatest respect and honor in the room. He's, He's not just one who teaches with authority. He's not just one who works miracles. He's not just a prophet or a priest. He is almighty God in the form of a man. He's worthy of all praise, all worship, all adoration of every human being as well as every angelic host in heaven and on earth. Jesus is by far the greatest person in the room. And because he is holy, and that means he is different, he's unlike us, Jesus washes the feet of Judas Iscariot. The feet they're going to walk out of that meal betray him for a couple of bucks, and then walk back in and murder him. And Jesus knows this. And it's, just to me, it's outrageous, because Judas, I mean, think, is he ever going to change? Will he ever become a Christ follower? Will he ever say thank you? Will he ever appreciate it? No. No, he, he won't. He's the one doomed for destruction. Judas is going to murder And what has Judas been doing up to this point for the last couple years? He's been pilfering out of the ministry fund. He's been stealing money from Jesus. I mean, he's only got a few hours to live. That's Jesus. And if it was me, I would be thinking, you know, Judas, you're going to hell. Just go. There's nothing in it. There's no appreciation. It's a bad investment of your time. And that's the way it's going down. Why in the world would Jesus take the time to wash the feet of Judas? Feed him, love him, care for him. When it's not even going to make a bit of difference. He's going to end up in hell anyways. Jesus did this because he loved the father. He loved the Father. Jesus knew, I'm not scrubbing Judas' feet for him. I'm doing it for my Father in heaven. Judas may never appreciate it. The Father does. Judas may never show any love back. No kindness, no affection. But the Father does. 
So I'm not doing this for Judas. I'm doing this to Judas for the father. Because the father loves me and I love the father back. The heart of humility is not results oriented. I don't do things. We're not called to do things for what we get out of it. We're not called to serve people and love people and help people because they're going to say thank you. Because you're going to get promoted. Because it's a good return on the investment of your time or your emotion or your energy or your money. No, we do this. God has called us to be servants because God loves us. And because of his love for us, we then in turn love other people. The fact is that we all have Judas-like tendencies, don't we? I mean, we've all hurt other people. We've all lied. We've all betrayed someone's trust. We've all spent some of God's money on our own selfish desires. We've all pretended to like someone to their face and then kind of stabbed them in the back, behind their back. We've all hurt God's heart. We we've all have Judas-like tendencies, if we're honest. But the good news is that Jesus came for Judas too. Jesus came for him too. Jesus washed his feet, loved him, served him. And so no matter how far from God you feel, no matter what you've done in your life, Jesus Christ came for you too. He came for me. He came for every one of us. We're all in equal need of God's grace. Christ humbled himself. He loved you and and me. And he deals not just with our dirt, but with our sin. Thank God that he washed Judas' feet because it means that there's hope for sinners like me. Then in verse 6, he came to Simon Peter. And I love Peter's response. Peter is this loud, brash, impetuous type personality. And he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are are you going to wash my feet? I mean, I'm good. I'm good. Go skip me. Go to the next person. And Jesus answered him. He said, what I am doing, you don't understand now, but afterward you will understand. Jesus says, Peter, you don't know what I'm doing right now. And I understand that you don't get it, but one day you will. And isn't that true? Oftentimes, the things God's doing in our life today, we don't get in the moment, but with hindsight, we look back and we go, ah, now I see what God was doing, how he used that pain or that confusion or that difficulty of that circumstance. Today's pain and confusion often leads to tomorrow's blessing and clarity. See, in the rearview mirror, things make more sense. And Peter said to him in verse 8, you shall never wash my feet. Peter, I mean, that's bold, isn't it? No, Jesus, you won't do it. Not going to happen. And Jesus answered him and he said, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. In other words, he's saying, unless you're able to receive my grace, my humility, my love, unless you're able to receive from me, you are not going to be my friend and you have no share in my kingdom. You have no part of me. See, there, there's only one way to come to God, and that is we have to quit trying to do it on our own terms. We have to quit trying to clean our act up and then come to God. We have to quit trying to negotiate with God, telling him no or telling him how we will make things work out and just say yes, yes to God. 
Simon Peter said in verse 9, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He's still trying to tell Jesus what to do. do. He's still negotiating. He's getting a little closer. Why is it that Peter is struggling so much to have Jesus wash his feet? He just doesn't want him to do it. And then when, when, when he starts to negotiate, it's like, all right, well, then do it this way, the way I want you to. Why? Because of his pride, isn't it? I mean, can't you just see it right there? It's his pride, that human pride. It's so hard to receive sometimes. It's easier to do. It's easier to give. It's easier to, to go serve. It's easier to do certain things for certain personalities than it is to just receive. You know, I stand on my own two feet. I take care of myself. I don't need anybody. And then Christ comes to you and he says, no, you need me. Oh, no, you need me. You need to be washed. Oh, you need me. You need my grace in your life. You're like, no, I can quit anytime I want to quit. I'm not really addicted. Really, I can quit. See, even if you're able to quit certain habits, there's still something on the inside of our heart that needs regeneration. It needs cleansing. There's something within the human heart that is awry. And Jesus said, I will clean you. I will cleanse you. Let me wash you. I'll take care of the stench of your life. And Peter wrestles with that. And I am the exact same way. I really don't like grace and humility and sacrifice coming my way. I prefer to do things on my own. I don't like you to pay the check at the table. I want to pay my part. I'd rather give than receive because receiving takes humility. And I don't have a lot of that. And so I understand this wrestling to receive. Some people look at Christianity and they think, oh man, that's the easy religion. You don't do anything. You just receive from God. And let me tell you, sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. is just to get yourself out of the way and say, I'm going to quit trying to earn my way into heaven. I'm going to quit trying to earn God's good grace. I'm going to quit trying to earn his love day by day by day. And I'm just going to receive his love. I'm going to receive his grace. I'm going to receive forgiveness. In verse 10, Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus is using this opportunity as a metaphor for salvation. That he will soon go to the cross, die for our sin, and open up that doorway for us to have a relationship with God, to be forgiven, to be cleansed through and through, to be bathed. And yet, every day we still sin, even after we receive Christ into our heart. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you quit blowing it, right? And so every day we need our feet washed. We may not need to come back to Christ and say, Lord, save me all over again. You don't need to do that. But we need to walk in daily repentance, which is that daily changing and turning to God and saying, Lord, um, I need your help today. I need to live by grace today. In verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. In other words, I am God. I am the one 
in the room with the greatest position, the greatest love, the greatest character, the greatest motives, and the greatest power. And I, being the greatest, now take on the role of a servant and wrap a towel around my waist and wash the feet of the least. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, let me just summarize what Jesus taught us in this particular passage. First thing we need to apply is to receive. Just to receive. Are you in a receptive posture from God this morning? Just say, it's not what I'm going to do. It's not going, it's not leaving this place and, and cleaning up my act. It's not, it's, it's just receive first. Are you in that place to receive the humility and the kindness and the service and the love and the forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ directly into your life, not based on your merit, not based on your good works, not based on anything you do, but just based on who he is and just saying, Lord, I receive it. See, do not receive in that manner. You will not be a friend of Jesus. You will have no share in his kingdom. If pride and arrogance gets in the way, where we say, well, I'm not going to God on that term. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to work my way into heaven and I'm going to, I'm going to earn my own way. Then Jesus made it very clear. You have no part of me. You're on your own into eternity. I, I, I don't want that. I know you don't want that. So the first big idea, the first big application point is that we, we, we have to get really good at receiving, receiving from God. Second big thing, second thing to apply to walk away from here with, is to walk in repentance. There's that daily need for Christ to wash our feet. For Christ to wash our feet, just to help us walk through this life and all of the, all of the muck and the dirt that's out there and, and to daily go to God and turn to Him and say, Lord, forgive me, help me. I want to walk with you. Help me, forgive me for what I just said to my wife. Forgive me for what I just did through compromise. Help me, God, walk with you. And then the last thing, so it's receiving, walking in repentance every day. And then it's serving other people. That's what we learned from this passage. Serving other people, even people who you may not like. If Jesus himself wrapped a towel around him and washed the stinky feet of his disciples, meaning that he washes all of our feet daily, What does that look like in our daily life? I mean, we don't have a foot washing custom today, do we, in our country? Outside of a pedicure, which costs $30. So what does foot washing look like in our daily lives? Well, it looks a lot like serving other people. Looking for those divine moments. Looking for those opportunities that God opens up to minister to somebody else, to serve somebody else. See, we're all called to be ministers. You don't need to go to Bible school to be a minister. A minister means a servant. We are all called to serve at home, at work, at school. See, in, our, in foot washing in our context, 
it, it's simple. It means this. If you're at work and your coworker's car breaks down and they can't get there, they can't get back and forth, they can't pick up their kids for daycare or whatever, then maybe you leave work early. You get home late. You pick them up. You help them out. You give them grace. Or maybe when you get married and your spouse has had a really long day, difficult day, complicated, stress-filled day, and they come home and they're frustrated, you, maybe you cook them a dinner, you give them a massage, you pray over them, you make love to them. If you're single, sorry, you can't do that. It, it's taking those opportunities that God provides for you at work. Someone's not getting something done, helping them finish their project. Or at school as a student who maybe is sick or missed a, missed, missed a class, you take notes for them. You give them your lecture notes and you help them out, maybe even help them catch up. You don't do it to be thanked. You don't do it to move up in the world. You don't do it to be recognized. You don't do it because it's always a great investment of your time. You just do it because Christ has done it for you. I love this church because I see that happening all over the place. I mean, last weekend I went and led the devotion time for Kids on the Move ministry and just the room was packed with Volunteer servants from this church just loving on the kids, discipling the kids, investing in the kids. I love that. Every time I see the parking lot filled with families who are in need and they're receiving food and clothing and and assistance and help, and I see the servants behind the scenes who are serving faithfully, making that happen, rarely thanked. Think of the teams that are being put together right now to go into the elementary school and provide tutoring and mentoring for kids. I love that. Greg Haley's putting together a team of willing servants who want to help reach out to refugees, new uh, transplant internationals in our city to help them get established. I love on them. See, it, it's inside the church and it's outside the church in our community, just being servants being ministers. The, the bottom line is that we get grace, so then we give grace. We are loved by God, so we love others. You first receive from God, which can be the hardest thing for some people because of our pride. And then out of the right motive of, a, of, of appreciation for God, we then serve other people, not to earn our salvation, not to earn God's love, but just because. We take on the form of a servant and we serve and we love. I'm going to ask the ushers to come right now and pass out the elements of communion. We're going to receive communion. And interestingly enough, in this passage, that's, uh, that's where they had the Last Supper. It's where they, after Jesus uh, did this for them, uh, they, they uh, had communion themselves. And that's why we're here. We're here We're here not just to learn, we're here to do. Jesus said, blessed are you if you do. And so it's not enough just to understand it up here. It's important that we say, God, I'm not like you. God, I'm not holy like you. I want to be more like you. Fill me. I need to receive today. Some of you need to receive Christ for the first time today. To be bathed, to be cleansed and purified 
And it's simple. It just means humble yourself. Come to God. Say, God, I want to be your friend. Forgive me. Forgive me. I want to walk with you. Fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit. I'm turning to you today. Others of us just need our feet washed. We need that daily cleansing. And maybe there's some sin or some fault, some mistake that's there that's nagging you, holding you back, and you just need to confess it and go to God and let him cleanse you today. I'm going to ask the ushers to come and pass out the elements of communion. Would you just worship with this song and reflect on it? Talk to God. Do business with God. Pray. Listen to his voice. And I'll be back up to close us out.